Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. Aaliyah Shadia Bell was born on January 30, 1996. At the age of 18, Aaliyah lived in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and was a student at Phoenix Academy on Flint Street, a non-traditional high school with a flexible schedule that offers online classes and face-to-face instruction twice a week. After graduation, she was planning to attend cosmetology school. Late at night on November 25, 2014, Aaliyah had been at her Uncle Bobby's house on Chestnut Street in Rock Hill doing her sister's hair. When she left, she said she would be back tomorrow, but sadly, they would never see her again. Aaliyah lived with her godmother two blocks away on North Confederate Avenue. A family member wired her $100 on the day of her disappearance so she could go Black Friday shopping, but she never picked up the money, proving that she didn't run away. She also left all her belongings behind. Neighbors reported they heard screaming and spotted a dark-colored vehicle in the area shortly before she vanished. Aaliyah's loved ones stated that she would have never accepted a ride from a stranger or someone she didn't trust. Her family believes she was kidnapped and didn't leave voluntarily. In July 2023, the Rock Hill Police Department announced they were reviewing her case after the recent arrest of the suspected Gilgo Beach serial killer, Rex Hewerman. Her disappearance was also reported near an area where Hewerman bought an 18-acre plot of undeveloped land. His brother Craig also lives in Chester, South Carolina, 20 miles from where Aaliyah went missing. Investigators say the suspect and his brother owned several properties off Rippling Brook Drive on the outskirts of Chester. Hewerman was only known to target sex workers, and Aaliyah's family said she was never involved in prostitution. However, her family stated that after she went missing, they heard she did what she had to do to get by. Aaliyah's family is hoping investigators will search the properties of the Hewerman brothers to see if she could be buried there. If Aaliyah were alive today, she would be 27 years old. However, as of August 2023, she has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Two-year-old Ashton Paul Brown was born to Asia Brown, a 22-year-old security guard in Greensboro, North Carolina. Asia was described as a kind, gentle, and fun person to be around. On February 20, 2015, around 1.30 p.m., Asia and Ashton took her recently purchased 2005 Buick LaCrosse to the DMV in High Point, North Carolina to register it. At around 3.20 p.m. that day, Asia was caught on a surveillance camera at AutoZone on Randleman Road in Greensboro buying some car accessories. However, Ashton didn't appear to be with her at this point, so it's possible she dropped him off with someone she knew. 
Later that day, authorities responded to a fire in a field at the end of Thurston Avenue. There, they found Asia's car engulfed in flames. Sadly, when they opened the trunk, they discovered the remains of Asia and Little Ashton. Thurston Avenue dead ends into a wooded area owned by the city of Greensboro and is used as a water and sewer right-of-way. It's a remote area that isn't easy to access, and the police said that only people familiar with the area know of its existence. Also, this area, along with the creek, is known for criminal activity. Since the fire had also been in the trunk, it made it impossible to positively identify them or determine their cause of death. Months later, with the use of DNA, it was confirmed the remains did, in fact, belong to Asia and Ashton. Investigators then gained access to Asia's social media accounts and determined her last activity was on February 20th, the day she was last seen. They also believe this was the day she and Ashton were murdered. Since Ashton wasn't seen at AutoZone with Asia, they theorized that whoever she left him with during that time could be a potential suspect. However, as of August 2023, that person has never been located and this case remains unsolved. Aquila Lynn Hodrick was born on August 19, 1976. At the age of eight, she lived on Briggs Avenue in the Kingsbridge Heights neighborhood of Bronx, New York, with her mother, Terry, who was eight months pregnant. Aquila was described as a mature, well-behaved, and responsible young girl who was said to be very smart and savvy. In 1985, the Kingsbriggs Heights neighborhood had its good moments with many close-knit, hard-working families. However, it also had a rough side with drugs, bar fights, and other crimes. Briggs Avenue, where Aquila and Terry lived, was even featured on a show called Our Block in 1983. On August 12, 1985, at about 6.30 p.m., Terry and Aquila were enjoying the evening, sitting on their porch, talking with neighbors passing by. At some point, Aquila heard the Mr. Softy ice cream truck and asked her mother for money, but Terry said no. Without any money, Aquila ran down Briggs Avenue, turning left around the corner onto East 194th Street, where the ice cream truck was parked. While the neighborhood could be rough at times, the kids were considered generally safe and walked around freely with no concerns. So when Aquila took off, her mother wasn't worried. However, as the afternoon turned to night and Aquila still hadn't returned, Terry began to worry and called the police. Knowing she was last seen heading toward the ice cream truck, Police tracked the vendor down, but the man said he didn't remember seeing her. Aquila's cousin said she saw her playing games at an arcade that day, but that sighting has never been confirmed. The NYPD then launched a massive search using tracker dogs and helicopters and set up a temporary headquarters in Aquila's home. They continued to search the area for at least the next two weeks. Finally, a few days after Aquila had disappeared, one of the dogs traced her scent to Webster Avenue by the tracks of a Metro North train line. The dog led the search group up to a large hole in a fence, which led into a homeless encampment inside a train track tunnel. Detectives wanted to search inside, but needed permission from Metro North because the company would have to stop the trains. However, their initial request was denied, and instead a compromise was made. Metro North would slow their trains down to 30 miles per hour, which was considered safe enough for police to search inside the tunnel. 
For the next three hours, two detectives and six police officers, along with multiple emergency service officers, searched the tunnel and questioned a dozen homeless people they met inside. Since they were only supposed to search for 30 minutes, the extended time caused massive delays with commuters. So instead of featuring poor missing Aquila on the nightly news, all anyone cared about was the delay in the transit system. A TV crew even burst into the office of Detective Frankie McDonald, demanding to know if he was the reason the trains were slowed down. Even after this, the idiots in the news never gave the case the attention it deserved and even frequently misspelled Aquila's name. However, that didn't stop Detective Frankie McDonald from working endlessly on finding Aquila. He put so much effort into the case that Terry even named her son after him. In the following weeks, McDonald and other officers searched almost 50 different apartments, storefronts, and abandoned buildings. Every time they searched a new location, Terry was right there with Detective McDonald. One Saturday afternoon, some months after her disappearance, a block party occurred on East 194th Street. Local politician Fernando Ferrer thanked the neighborhood for all its efforts in trying to find Aquila. He then reminded everyone to contact Detective McDonald if they had any additional information about the case. Afterward, as McDonald was returning to his car, an older woman, rooting through a garbage can, called out to him and said, You're never going to find that little girl alive. She is buried up in Yonkers. At first, he brushed it off, but on his way back to the precinct, it hit him that Terry actually had a connection to Yonkers. She had dated a man who occasionally stayed in a house on Briggs Avenue, but spent most of his time in an apartment in Yonkers. He rushed back to find the woman, but never could. While Terry didn't do drugs, her boyfriend was known in the neighborhood as a junkie. Also, on the evening of Bequilla's disappearance, the boyfriend was seen running shirtless on Ho Avenue, only a few blocks from Terry and Aquila's home. He was then seen later that night in a red car with another man. Detective McDonald learned from witnesses that the other man was the boyfriend's roommate in Yonkers. One day, after multiple interrogations with the boyfriend, he broke down and began sobbing. At this point, McDonald thought he was going to confess, but as he slowly raised his head, he said, I didn't do anything. While Terry believes her daughter was kidnapped by someone who wanted a child of their own, Detective McDonald isn't so sure and still believes the boyfriend is responsible. However, he's never been able to find the evidence to prove it. Eventually, Terry remarried and moved to Manhattan in order to get away from the horrible memories that plagued her on Briggs Avenue. As of August 2023, Equilla has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Jennifer Kathleen Blaine Nielsen was born in Glendale, California on March 6, 1985, and went by Jenna. Jenna was a talented pianist, dancer, and singer, and it was said that people were drawn to her because she always had a smile on her face. On February 15, 2003, she married Timothy James Nielsen in Layton, Utah, and they would have two children together. Her world revolved around her family, and she loved being a mother and could easily make her sons laugh. In 2005, 22-year-old Jenna was eight and a half months pregnant with her third child, which she planned to name Ethan. She and Tim had moved to Raleigh, North Carolina in 2004 to work at Boone Edom, a revolving door manufacturer. 
The couple worked hard but was still struggling, so Jenna took an early morning newspaper delivery job to help pay the bills. As usual, Jenna got up early on June 14, 2007, to prepare for her shift. At approximately 3.30 a.m., Jenna arrived to deliver newspapers at a local gas station called the AmeriKing Food Mark at Lake Wheeler Road and Centennial Parkway intersection. Just as she always did, she inserted the newspapers into the vending machines and started walking back to her running car, but this time someone was waiting for her. The man snuck up behind Jenna, stabbed her in the throat, and dragged her body to the back of the gas station, where he left her to die before running off. When Jenna's family didn't hear from her at the end of her shift, they were initially worried. Her father, Kevin Blaine, thought his daughter had probably gone into labor and just hadn't informed him yet. He was about to start calling other family members when he received a phone call from Tim telling him to come to the house immediately. When Kevin arrived, his heart sank as he was met with police cars and men in suits. He was then informed of Jenna and his soon-to-be grandson's murder. After speaking with several witnesses, investigators narrowed in on a potential suspect. Within the hours leading up to Jenna's murder, a young man in his teens to early 20s was spotted lingering in the area. He was described as having black hair tied back in a ponytail, wearing a dark-colored sleeveless shirt and baggy denim shorts. However, no one could identify his ethnicity, making the search for him more difficult. A man fitting this limited description was seen running away from the crime scene shortly after Jenna was murdered. When her body was found, her vehicle was still running and her purse was left untouched inside, so the police were able to rule out a robbery. While they weren't sure of the motive, they believed the attack on Jenna was random and not targeted. Her family believes the assailant had plans to sexually assault her, but didn't get the chance because she fought back. Not far from the crime scene, a homeless man found a knife and turned it in to the police. However, the police have never openly discussed whether or not it was the murder weapon. With the help of a witness, the police were also able to create a composite sketch of the suspect who has very feminine features. Tim Nelson has since moved back to his home state of Utah to be with his family so he can raise his children away from the memories of the tragic murder. Their children were young when Jenna was murdered, and her youngest surviving child doesn't remember her at all, while the oldest only has a few memories. However, Tim has made sure his kids know exactly who their mother was. After Jenna's murder, her employer refused to pay Tim her death benefits, claiming she was an independent contractor. He was then able to find a law firm to take the case pro bono, and they eventually reached a settlement. Interestingly, Jess Green, who was arrested after sexually assaulting more than one woman in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, bears a striking resemblance to the composite sketch. The attacks happened at a Walmart two weeks after Jenna's death. On top of that, Green had actually been in North Carolina at the time of the murder. While most of the puzzle pieces fit, there is one major issue. The man in North Carolina was said to be extremely short, standing only 5 foot 3, while Green stands about 6 feet tall. Even though Green bears such a striking resemblance to the sketch, Raleigh police believe he will eventually be eliminated as a suspect. Unfortunately, due to North Carolina law at the time, Jenna's killer can never be charged with the death of her unborn son. However, in 2011, North Carolina lawmakers passed the Unborn Victims of Violence Act, 
aka Ethan's Law, which allows murderers to be prosecuted for the death or injury of an unborn child. Although investigators found DNA at the crime scene, as of August 2023, Jenna's murder remains unsolved. Tyson Jones was born in Abington, Pennsylvania on August 5, 2013, to parents Christy Gardner and her boyfriend, Tishon Jones. Sadly, when Tyson was only two years old, his father passed away, and they ended up living with her mother, Diane Gardner, in Philadelphia. By the age of three, he and his mother had moved out of Diane's house and in with a friend. At the time, she had no idea she would never see her daughter alive again. Tyson would also strangely go missing, and the last time his relatives saw him was in May 2017, and they noticed his head had been shaved. That same year, Tyson and Christy had allegedly moved around multiple times. During this time, Christy was only communicating with family through text or online chats and would give different explanations as to where Tyson was. On September 4, 2020, over three years after Tyson was last seen alive, Christy also disappeared and was reported missing. The following day, she was found deceased and her cause of death was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. In the days before taking her own life, her mother Diane and sister had both been attempting to locate Tyson. However, when her body was discovered, Tyson was nowhere to be found. It is unclear what happened between Christy leaving her mother's home in 2017 and her death in 2020. If Tyson were alive today, he would be 10 years of age, but as of August 2023, he has never been found and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.